0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: Welcome to episode number two of Hacks and Jacks a fantasy baseball podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Hacks and Jacks I am Joe Galina, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Scott Chu. Hey, Joe, how's it going, man? You doing good? I'm doing great. Just for reference for our listeners, we're recording this on February 28th, 2021. So like I was talking to you before the show, first day of actual live exhibition baseball games. I got the Yankee game on in the background, uh, FSGA and Labor have had some of their drafts. TGFBI drafts are gonna be underway this week. Everything is just falling into place. It, it's it's gonna be March.
2: You know, yeah. it's it's that it's that time of year. And you know, I know that for a lot of my leagues we don't draft until later on in March, like third March. week in March, something like that. Uh, especially for redraft, but my dynasty stuff has been moving, you know, my keeper mm-hmm. stuff, like deadlines are up. I had an Autoneo draft. Yesterday, uh, I was just on just on Potapelusa with Justin Mason supporting great cause. It it won't, you know, it'll be over by the time you all listen to this. But hope you had a chance to check that out. It's it's a really cool thing where we were talking some baseball cards, and that was always a lot of fun. But yeah, it's 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 that time. You know, it's finally there's baseball games on. You know, Mm -hmm. the next time we pod episode three, there might actually be news, right? Like of of something that happened on a baseball diamond. Right. Like not the front offices, like an actual baseball diamond creating actual baseball news. So so it's exciting. Right. Like this is this is when you really feel that energy.
1: Absolutely. And we're going to be a little ambitious today. We're going to try to get through uh, some second base and shortstop rankings fueled by your great articles that our listeners could find on PitcherList.com. Lots of uh, rolling charts, which great information. Love those rolling charts. So just want to let our listeners know as well. That when I speak about ADPs, I'll be referencing Fantasy Pro's consensus ADPs. Uh, Fantasy Pro's combines draft averages from Fantrax, ESPN, Yahoo, RTS, NFBC, which is the high stakes leagues. And so I just want to let you know just as a reference point as well. So second base. Widely regarded there, Scott, as a shallow position. You know,
2: in some senses it is, right? In in terms of the top. You know, when we talk about shortstop, we're going to talk about shortstop as a very deep position at the top, right? Now, once you get to like 15, 20, it's a wash, right? Like all all the positions start to dry up at around the same time. The difference at second base is less that it's overall shallow. It's that a lot of the players are tightly packed. It just starts later, there are no like there are probably not. There's probably not going to be a single second baseman drafted in the first round of a 12-team league, right? Mm. Maybe not even the second round, right? Uh, it might be a while before you see that first second baseman come off the board, but they, you know, they'll sort of after that steadily be drafted throughout the next several rounds. It just won't be like shortstop where you know half half your league has got a shortstop you know halfway through the second round. So that's why it feels so much more shallow,
1: right? And g- great point because. When I look at these rankings, at second base, after the initial 15 guys, I mean, there's still some talent left where I would use them at the middle infield position. But when it comes to shortstop, there's a lot of talent early. But then in the later rounds, in your later rankings, some of those guys I might not consider using as my middle infield. But great point that you bring up. Just, by the way, in terms of feedback regarding your rankings – any specific players that cut right off the top of your uh, head that you might have gotten some feedback on in terms of hey you know why'd you put this guy in a certain position or not
2: you know I think the one guy we actually talked about him a little bit yesterday and that was CJ Crone because a lot of people want to be excited about CJ Crone being in Colorado and I'm just not yet. Uh, it's more of a maybe. And if you can, if you can check out the first base article, he's ranked 30th for me at first base, which is probably a lot later than a lot of you would like him to be. But, you know, you can, you can pull it up and just sort of see why I'm doing that. And a lot of it is just, I have an absolute distrust of the Colorado Rockies and doing the right thing. That's the best for their team. I just don't think that they will. And the best thing for their team is starting C.J. Crone just about every day at first base, yeah. which means I don't think they're going to do that.
1: <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. That's really, They've been a that, tough team to read in terms of the way that they utilize their players.
2: That's a very kind way to put that, <laughs> Joe. That's you're tough to read. I, I like that. I like that.
1: All right. Well, let's dive right in because we got a lot of players to talk about. Now, at the second base position, we have the elites, DJ LeMayhew, Ozzie Albies, and Whit Merrifield make up that elite uh, crew. And uh, we spoke a lot about uh, DJ LeMahieu in our first base episode, and he's uh, eligible at first, second, and third. Of course, for the New York Yankees, get him late second round, early third round. We're talking you know, 12 teamers here. So if you want to just get an in-depth analysis of w- what he's about, you could check that episode out. But obviously, moderate power has... a. a- Adjusted his approach uh, to Yankee Stadium, hitting the ball to the opposite field more, and uh, it's worked for him. But uh, Ozzy Albies and and Whit Merrifield. Talk about Whit Merrifield because I find a lot of people are just worried about at his age and him slowing down a little bit because a big part of his game uh, involves stolen bases. I mean, in 2018, stole 45 bases. 2019, stole 20 so uh, are you worried about him if he's going to be 32 years old just slowing down a little bit?
2: One of my favorite things about Whit Merrifield is the absolute consistency that this guy's got. And you know, obviously it's hard for me to describe a rolling chart to you over the, you know, over the airwaves, but I really recommend you take a look. It's in the article for second base. It, the one I put up there is his expecting his expected batting average. This guy over a 100 plate appearance sample almost never hits below 260. Like, that's his basement. He almost never drops below that. It is so hard to find that kind of consistency. And when you're in, like, a head-to-head weekly league, when a guy's balance is out at the end of the year, you know, we talk about players who are volatile. It's like, oh, don't worry. At the end of the year, it'll balance out. Like, his teammate Mondesi is a classic example of this guy who, like, he's going to have a bunch of weeks where he's not very good, and then, like, four weeks where he's absolutely unbelievable. And in Roto, that balances out. And head-to-head leagues balancing out's not a thing. Every week's a new matchup. Right? You don't get to carry over those extra stolen bases or that extra batting average from week to week. So a guy like Whit Merrifield who's always doing it every week, always playing, always hitting. I mean, the guy almost never has back-to-back games without a hit. Right? Like in fact in 2019 he didn't. Actually, maybe it was like less it was less than 3 times that he had back-to-back games where he didn't get on base. That I mean that kind of consistency is is hard to put a dollar value on, but I am very willing to make it a top 3 rank. And in fact, in certain league formats, deeper ones with five outfield, you can make the case that Merrifield's the best second baseman to get. Now, I'm not sure I'd ever take him over a guy like DJ, but I could see where he might be the best value of these 3 in a, you know, in a deeper league draft. You know, and I won't say much about Ozzy Albies. I think there are folks that are in on him, folks that aren't, and I'm not going to begrudge anyone either way, but he's absolutely part of this this three-man group. And Nick Pollock and I, who who sort of helped me with these rankings, talked a lot about this three-man group and how to rank them, how to talk them up. And I spent a lot of time in the article talking about these three because I really wanted to make it clear why I ranked them the way I did. And what that whole thought process was, because each and every person is going to have a chance to take one of these three guys because they don't go in the top half of the first round everybody gets a look in fact everybody probably gets two looks before they have to take them and you should really think about how you want to handle those top three the rest of the position is good and it's deep and there's plenty to talk about but these three you should think about because again there is a bit of a jump here before the next tier and so i would definitely be thinking about how you want to rank these three
1: yeah, and uh, you mentioned that you do have time to make a decision. Ozzy Albee's ADP is 33, which in a, a 12-team league puts him somewhere around the third round. So uh, he did have, uh, he got off to a bit of a slow start, but had a wrist injury, and you even referenced it in your article. Uh, after coming back off the IL, finished off the season with 338 batting average, five home runs, and three steals uh, late in the season. And so uh, then you have the near elites. And you have uh, Brandon Lowe, Keston Hiura, uh, who we spoke about uh, during our first base episode, and Kevin Biggio. Brandon, I, I called him Brandon Lowe. He's actually Brandon Lau, right? Rhymes with now. <laughs> so, I was hoping uh, you
2: wouldn't ask me. I always get it wrong. I, I always too, get it me
1: wrong. Too, me too. too. Uh, and I obviously, obviously did. It. Uh, I did this time. But So ADP for Brandon Lau uh, is 68. You get him in the 60s round. Last season at this time, uh, last March, March 2020, his ADP was 199. You could get him in the 17th round, so he's really moved up, and uh, you think he has the best chance, at least if I read you correctly, in in this elite tier to move up into the next tier for uh, next season.
2: Yeah, so here's the thing about Lau. When when you're trying to rank three guys that are all kind of tight, and and again, this is a, a tightly packed tier in a lot of ways, and i really like biggio i think there's a lot to like about Hira. the reason i say that lao is probably the most likely to break into this tier for next season is because at least for a time he was an elite fantasy player right i mean pretty much for about a whole month and if you go into the if you go into the article you can see a little chart of just how he ranked from july 24th to august 21st right and, and i know a lot of folks are going to know that when they look at brandon lao stats they're going to say oh well it was fueled by his first half but like a month where you are a top five hitter in baseball is a big deal. There are very few players in the game who can be that level of elite for a whole month. I mean, anyone can do it for a week, right? Um, but a some kind of talent is required to do this for a month. And Brandon Lau showed that. And it's not like he was absolute garbage at the end of the season, right? He wasn't like, this isn't like, a, you know, Erseti's Aquino who was really, really hot and then really, really not and can barely make a team, right? This is a guy who was, who was like average in the second half and was bad because he was so, so good for that whole month. Hira has a crazy strikeout rate. Although, at the end of the day, like he's the one of these guys that I think is probably the most likely to hit 30 home runs. I think Lau can do it too. But if I had to bet on one guy to hit 30 home runs, it's probably Keston Hira, right? And if I had to bet on one guy who's gonna who could steal 15 to 20 bases without a problem, it's probably Kevin Biggio, right? Yes. But he's also the one that could hit 220. And again, this is a... It's a set of three guys where there's a lot to talk about, but only because not because like they're so different. It's mostly because to to distinguish between these three players, I have to give you a lot of words. I have to really tell you why I'm ranking them the way that I did, and I did go Lao, Hira, Biggio, and I tried my best to explain why I did that and why you might not in your own personal rankings. Mm-hmm. But again, this is a if you're not going to do on the top three and you want one of these three, I would really think about. How you rank them, how you value them, and, and how you're going to approach it in the draft. Because, again, tightly packed, and we're getting close to the drop-off.
1: Yep, Yeah, I've been doing a lot of mocks, and I seem to end up with a lot of Brandon Lau. And uh, I agree with you that by next season, he may move into that elite tier. And one of the things that I noticed that is most encouraging to me is as a lefty hitter is his evolution as a batter, where he's gotten better batting against left-handed pitching when you he's been in the league for three seasons right Uh, hasn't played three full seasons yet but uh, against left-handed pitching uh, in his first season in the uh, big leagues batted 188 followed that up with a batting average of 242 and last season Added 300 against lefties. So uh, I like the fact that he is progressing. And you know, what you mentioned about Kevin Biggio, I, I agree. Uh, second base, third base, and outfield eligible. That's another thing to take into consideration. Uh, makes more sense uh, for uh, you to roster him in OBP leagues, 368 OBP over his two years in the big leagues. But you're right uh, in terms of uh, his stolen base potential. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think he, in his career, hasn't been caught stealing bases. Twenty uh, attempts and twenty successful attempts of stealing bases.
2: And that's—it's <laughs> not because he's like crazy fast, right? He—he he right. just runs at the right time. And there's, yeah, there's, there's a bit of a skill to that running at the right time. I mean, Miguel Cabrera has stolen bases, and it's not because he outran the throw, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, some of them are just uncontested, but it. You have to have a smart thing, and you know. Again, we've seen about a full season from him, and 24 home runs, 20 stolen bases. Like of these, of these guys, you know, he's the best 2020 threat of them. But yeah, in in an OBP league, he's the top of this this tier for me, and I'm you know, it's close, but he's definitely number one. And I I say this in the article as well. But uh, he's yeah, he is so difficult for a lot of folks in in average leagues because his average is not going to be good. It's it's not his skill set to hit for a high average. Right. And the only other thing that knocked him down at all for me was actually the signing of Marcus Simeon. Not because it hurts BGO's playing time. It hurts his spot in the order. BGO was going to be the number two hitter. He's probably more like the six or the seven hitter and that could mean less stolen bases. It could be more RBI, but I really am interested to see how that plays out in terms of his opportunities.
1: Great point. Let's move over to the next tier and what you call the group of solid players. And there are a couple here that I uh, want to focus on. Jose Altuve, Kettle Marte, Max Muncie, Jeff McNeil, and Mike Moustakis. Altuve You could get him in the eighth round of a typical 12-team league, ADP of 93. And he really fell off the face of the earth last year, batted 219 with a 286 OBP and a 344 slugging percentage. This is a guy that a few years back, he was a top five overall pick, spent some time on the I.L., uh, was dealing with an injury to his surgically repaired knee, which to me means that stolen bases might be a big question mark this season. It's a third straight uh, season where he's had some type of leg injury that he's been dealing with. But uh, your thoughts on Altuve and how much of a rebound can we expect from him? So
2: there's two things to talk about with him: is how often will he be on the field? Right At the end of the day, the biggest impact to his rank, besides the fact that he doesn't steal bases much anymore, but he hasn't for a while, right? Because he bats like third now. So he's not really going to steal a ton of bases anymore. That's just a reality. You're really drafting just the hit tool now. But, you know, obviously it's an elite hit tool, but he's got to stay healthy. Right. It's three straight three straight seasons where he's missed some time. Those injuries not only hurt his chances to steal bases because they like hurt his legs. But one way to keep a guy healthy is to not have him steal bases. Those are high stress plays. Right, A lot of players get injured on those. They hurt their hands. They hurt. You know, I mean, they're running hard and throwing their body at a bag on the ground. Right. Like it's an easy way to get hurt. So I don't think he's going to steal many bases anymore. And, and no one's projecting him to do a ton. Right. Like he, he'll steal a handful. He'll get a couple. But that's right. not the big thing. I mean, the biggest thing is how Houston just was not very good during the regular season offensively, right? They just, they really struggled. Kyle Tucker was good. And they had flashes, but otherwise, they really struggled. But then in the playoffs, they didn't, right? We saw that offense come back alive yes. during the playoffs. Hit a lot of home runs. I mean, Altuve had five home runs in 13 games in the playoffs. Had right? Anybody like
1: garbage cans when they were playing in the I, You play? know, I didn't <laughs> hear
2: them. I didn't hear them, right? And I think, you know, it, as much as we're joking there, I think it is important for player, you know, for for every fantasy manager personally to think about how they feel about that whole controversy. Because it's one thing to talk about the 60-game season, like, oh, Bregman struggled, and Altuve struggled, and it's because of that. But, like, remember in the playoffs, they didn't have the trash cans there either. They didn't have the cameras that they could see this stuff in the playoffs either. And they exploded in the playoffs. So... You know what? You know what reality are you expecting for 2021? And the reason Altuve is ranked here is because I think that there is still a very good hitter uh, in Jose Altuve. I think that he can definitely hit. Uh, you know, I think he can hit twenty five upper twenties home runs if he plays a whole season. Again, that that if is pulling some weight, right? Like saying if he plays a full season, that's not easy. But again, 2019, he plays 124 games, hits 31 home runs, right? Like. He still has that skill. He still has that talent. And yes, I know, trash cans, whatever. But you know, five home runs in 13 games without him, right? Like he, he still has an elite hit tool. He had it before the trash cans. He's going to have it after the trash cans. He's a player that I think some people are just not going to have on their board. And that could create some real surplus value for a lot of folks.
1: Yeah, I hate to tell you, I, I'm not really interested in him. But you're right. Uh, at any point in time in any draft, if a player lingers long enough he's valuable so uh but we'll see but let's move on to Kettle Marte who had a big drop off in power hit 32 home runs during the 2019 season do you think that the power do you think that that was just an outlier it seems like it was barrel rate dropped from 9.1 in 2019 to 3.7 so you
2: know overall I I'm really struggling with like how to deal with 2020 just like everyone else right like is it because it was a mirage or is it because he had a completely screwed up schedule uh, in terms of like gearing up for the season and then didn't have video, right? Like none of the players were allowed to have video to watch their own swings during a game, right? you know We've heard Javi Baez talk about this, JD Martinez talk about this, and there's a lot of players that use that tool right? Like not to cheat, but to actually just get better at baseball. So I I am really struggling with Marte specifically because when he broke out in 2019, I actually spent a solid month saying it was a mirage, right? And I spent a lot of time talking about something that is true, which is it's almost impossible to distinguish a hot player from a like permanently improved player until it's all done, right? Like you can distinguish a lucky player and a good player, right? You can look at expected stats, see big splits. But you can't always distinguish a hot player from a good player. And and any player can get hot for a period of time. Uh, we've seen players be good for a season and then not again. I don't think that's what Cattell Marte is. I think that I've I watched enough of him to think there really is something here. The batting average, I think, should be much better. 32 bombs, maybe not there. But upper 20s, absolutely.
1: Another guy in this tier, Jeff McNeil. Second base and now field eligible, ADP of 91. Get him in the eighth round of a typical 12-team draft. Uh, Streaky, especially when it came to power production last season. All four of his home runs came on consecutive games in September last season. Uh, Now, you look at this player uh, in McNeil, and you're confident, at least I am, that he's going to hit for high average. you got to like the multi-position eligibility but in the past, we've kind of looked at him because he had 23 home runs across a full season in 2019. Is that a bit too ambitious? Are we looking at maybe a 15 home run kind of guy? I,
2: I probably guess like a, a 20 home run, 10 stolen base guy, high average. Mm-hmm. The, none of the counting stats are never going to jump out to you about, about Jeff McNeil. And I talk about this in the article a little bit, but essentially there's two reasons Jeff McNeil slides up your board. The first is that you're in a points league and he makes a lot of contact and contact is king in a points league, right? Uh, You're not looking for the three true outcomes, guys. You're looking for the guys that constantly put the bat on the ball because that's how you get points, right? A a points league feels a lot like a total bases league, and Jeff McNeil can put up a lot of total bases even when he's not hitting a lot of home runs. So, you know, that's something that that's one reason to put him up. The other reason to put him up is because he's super safe, right? Like I do think this is a very high floor player. The average is always going to be there. He's going to play. Like even though they've added an unreasonable number of like sort of infielders and outfielders to their roster and just have like. Probably two or three more hitters than they know what to do with. Uh, I still think McNeil is about as safe as it gets in terms of like an everyday player Mm -hmm. for the Mets. He's going to play. It's going to be a high floor. And so, like, if you've taken a lot of risks early in your draft, I think McNeil slides up your board a little bit. And, And maybe I'm not saying you necessarily reach for him, but you put a star on his name. Whereas on the other hand, if you have a lot of safety in your first several rounds, McNeil almost falls off your board. Right? You don't need him anymore. You don't need floor. You've you've got floor. Right? At this point, you'd be reaching more for, for ceiling-type players. You're, you're probably jumping a little earlier on, like a, a Cattell Marte, who's got the higher ceiling, right? Because um, Marte could very well be McNeil just with more home runs. Very possible,
1: right? But there's risk. Tell me what you think about this comparison, because as I was putting together some notes, I thought of Nick Madrigal, ADP-212, right? You look at Jeff McNeil And uh, Madrigal. And both of them are going to hit for high average. You trade off some of McNeil's power for Madrigal's stolen bases. You look at Steamer projections for Madrigal 304, eight home runs, and 19 stolen bases. And he has a 212 ADP versus McNeil's ADP of 91. Now, also, McNeil has second base and outfield eligibility. Is it fair to compare the two?
2: I think this really is going to depend on your league, right? So. In a the deeper the league, the more willing I am to talk about this comparison. I mean, on one hand, if I'm choosing between the two, it's McNeil every time, but you're not choosing between the two, right? That's not what you're doing. You're choosing someone else when you take McNeil, and then you're waiting for Magical in a 12 team league, like the ones we're talking about here that don't have a middle infield, you know, it's the two utility, three outfield it's going to be really hard for Madrigal to make a big push for you because he's just not going to have the counting stats. He's going to be batting at, batting at the bottom of that lineup. He's going to be, uh, you know, doesn't hit for very very much power. He's not going to score a ton of runs. It's The upside is really capped, right, by the lack of counting stats, right? Because if he ends the season with, like, five home runs and 15 steals and a 300 batting average, it doesn't move the needle in a lot of 12-team leagues. It just doesn't do enough, right? Even if he makes that projection, he's still probably the worst starting second baseman in a twelve-team league, right? That's and that's really the problem. But when we start talking about a fifteen-team league or like a twelve-teamer with deeper rosters, like the ESPN-style rosters with the corner in the middle and the five outfield, it starts getting a little more interesting, right? Because mm-hmm. you know McNeil's a back-end middle to back-end second baseman, and sure, uh is a back-end second baseman, but you, you have to have. You know, a second baseman and a middle infielder. You're going to need more safety in those deeper leagues because you have to take more risks to fill that roster. It gets a lot more interesting because he's a lot more viable in the deeper leagues. So I do think there's a way to make that comparison, but not in a 10 or 12 teamer, just because Madrigal is going to be like a last round pick in those formats. Like in those cases, you just take both, right? Like you're not you're not spending anything to get Madrigal in one of those formats. So. In a 10 or a 12, like the shallow Yahoo style, the the comparison's hard to make. The deeper leagues, I definitely think you're onto something there. And there's a strategy there about waiting for like a magical type, especially like in Roto where the steals matter more. There's there's a strategy there, just not in the 12s.
1: Mm-hmm. And the other two guys in this tier, Max Muncy and Mike Moustakis, we spoke about them when we did our first base preview. But uh, just quickly, uh, Muncy, first base, second base, third base eligible, I'll give you up to maybe 30 home runs probably hit around 240 and you know what the same could be said for Moustakis, uh who is uh, dealing with a quad injury foot injury false positive covid test which was just a crazy year for the reds in general if you want like a more detailed analysis you can check out our episode 1 and we uh, went over the first base position so let's move uh, on to Back-end starters, and now we're talking about the deeper leagues, right, Scott? Dylan Moore, second base and outfield eligible, uh, 144 ADP, which means you get him in the 12th round. Going to be battling Shed Long for at-bats and the possibility of being the everyday second baseman for the Mariners. Then you got Ty France could steal some at-bats as well, although uh, I was reading where he's going to get some at-bats as D.H., France will, but uh, your thoughts on Dylan Moore?
2: So Dylan, because I do think he's going to play every day, even if it's not necessarily at second base, they can move him around. They can put him in short. They can put him in outfield. They've moved him around before. This is all about 10 or 12 team league, and this is all about upside. And how many second basemen have 25 home run, 25 steal upside? It's not many, right? It's very right. few. And and Dylan Moore's probably the last one. You know, There's there's more guys that we're going to talk about in terms of ranking. They don't have this ceiling. None, none of them do not for the power and the speed, right? So that's why Dylan Moore is here. Could he also flame out? Sure, but we're getting to the point now where let's say you draft Dylan Moore to be your starting second baseman in a 12-team league. What happens if he doesn't pan out? You just cut him, replace him, right? Mm -hmm. You cut him with any, you know, these guys below him. Like Nick Madrigal may very well be out there still. You can get a replacement level guy. The thing you won't find on the waiver wire for replacement level is 25 home run, 25 stolen base upside. That's not out there. It just simply won't be available. That's why Moore is here. He's in a tier of his own because he's probably the last guy I want to consider a a starter because of his upside. It's not like these next guys we're going to talk about don't have upside, right? But he's the last one that's got this like really, really high upside guy who really could be a starter, especially if he pans out. And then when you start getting below this, you start talking about guys who you're going to cut if they get hurt in, in shallow leagues.
1: Right. And this next tier, which you call the deep league options, uh, has guys that do have some upside. And I'll ask you, Gavin Lux, Tommy Edmond. We already spoke about Madrigal. uh, Andres Jimenez plays for the team from Cleveland and Nick Solak. Of that little group, who do you think has the most upside to develop into uh, an everyday second baseman for team
2: i mean i think it's obviously gavin lux I'm, I'm if you're looking at the other folks rankings like on fantasy pros i am higher on gavin lux than just about anybody mm-hmm. right and it's not because i think he's gonna win a job right a lot of this is sort of like what i talked about with dylan moore in a 12 team league you do not need to draft gavin lux as the 13th second baseman off the board right you simply don't and this These rankings aren't designed to be like an ADP projection, right? I'm not saying these are necessarily the orders you should draft them. I say these are the orders that I think they really should be considered in a 12 teamer. And, you know, with Lux, he's got all star potential. And as much as I, you know, say that Dylan Moore could be a 25 25 guy, like Gavin Lux is just a different class of prospect than Dylan Moore. Gavin Lux is a guy who could really be like 15 home runs, 15 stolen bases, and a high batting average you know, perennial all-star kind of player. And while it's really hard to see the playing time for now, like in a 12-team league, either he's on my bench or he's my watch list because the moment it looks like he's going to play five times a week, I want him on a roster.
1: From this tier, that I mean, that's a great analysis on Lux and I agree with you. But uh, one guy that interests me in this tier is Nick Solak uh, for the Rangers. I keep on wanting to call him Nick Pollock, But <laughs> I stopped myself. But second base outfield, eligible and he, he's been told that he's going to be the starting second baseman to start the season has a tremendous hit tool not a great defender but he has said that he feels most comfortable when playing at second base I think that's got to play a little bit into it I, I find that if a player doesn't have to worry about you know oh please don't hit the ball to me you know they could be a little bit more comfortable at the plate full season with looking at a floor of 15 homers, 15 stolen bases, and an at least the uh, 270 batting average. Your thoughts on uh, Nick Salek?
2: So I'm probably like a little lower than that on the steals in terms of like a floor. I definitely see like a 20 home run, like 10 stolen base guy. Okay. okay. Uh, or, or, you know, some combination of things that gets him to like 30 total home runs and stolen bases, right? And he's, he's definitely going to play every day. And in a league like TGFBI, the 15 teamer, I am targeting Nick Salk. And he probably, in those deeper leagues, moves up these rankings a bit because I just think there's such a strong floor there. But, you know, again, as far as ceiling goes, it's a bit capped simply by his skill set. Like, it, it's not a, he doesn't have a playing time problem like some of the other guys in this tier, like a Gavin Lux. He's got sort of this ceiling problem because we talked about that before. I'm not sure the ceiling's a whole lot higher. You know, like what's the ceiling? Twenty-five, ten, right? Like, you know, twenty-five home runs, fifteen stolen bases—is that the ceiling? Like, that's as good as it'll ever get, I think, for 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 Solik, so- based on what we've seen so far, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he—it's great to see him get more playing time. There was a great presentation during PitchCon about how he sort of got—he uh, sort of got screwed on a lot of calls, right? There was uh, a really cool presentation about that, so you know, folks can go and check that out. Uh, but you know, with with Solik. It's it's hard for him to be relevant in a 12 team league for a full season, right? Mm. But I can guarantee that a lot of folks are going to pick up Nick Salek in a 12 team league because he'll be hot for a bit. Maybe he has like a nice stretch of starts, um, and he's going to be an injury fill in for a lot of people in the outfield or at second base, right? Like, that's going to happen a lot. Now, how much draft capital you have to spend in a 12 teamer? It's not much, and you know he's not someone I want is my starting second baseman every single day. At least not at this point at 12. But once you start talking about deeper leagues, 15-team leagues, he's absolutely a viable starter there.
1: All right. And uh, the next tier is your even deeper league options. And we're talking, you know, 15-teamers. We've got uh, Tommy Lastella, uh, Chris Taylor, Jake Cronenworth, Kim Haas young Jonathan Villar, David Fletcher, Luis Araez garrett hampson maybe you could talk about one or two that you that you love or maybe uh but jonathan vr uh, do you think he's going to get enough at bats for the mets to be fantasy viable this season has that great stolen base tool gonna hurt you with batting average but is he even worth rostering based on projected playing time
2: how many times have we had our hearts broken by jonathan vr too many too many i mean it's too many and you know full disclosure he, is, he was signed right before these rankings got published, right? And he was originally ranked 14th right ahead of Dylan Moore. Or not 14th, sorry. He was ranked 12th. Dylan Moore was 13th. That's I, that's actually how this worked originally. Then, of course, he signs in probably the worst possible place for him to go, which is a team with, as we mentioned, has too many players. <laughs> Just too many hitters that are worthy of starting jobs. So I, I don't... His playing time is really hard to project because... On one hand, he really looks like he's going to be a reserve guy. He's not going to play enough. On the other hand, peak Jonathan VR forces his way into a lineup every day. Right. Right? That, that 20 home run, 40 stolen base guy who we've seen twice now, he plays every day. There is no manager in baseball that doesn't play that guy every day. Right, So there is upside there. It's just not draftable in a 12-team league. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, really this whole tier, it's interesting because it's a lot of guys that are really easy to fall in love with. Right for various reasons, right? So I'm a big fan of Luis Arias. I don't think he's a great play in 12 teamers, but in deeper leagues he is. I think he's got elite hit tool for batting average. The power wasn't there last year, and he's never going to be like a big time home run hitter. But it's worth noting that he played most of the season hurt, you know, a couple uh, a couple of bum legs. So as he got healthier, there's a great rolling chart about his expected slugging, and it skyrockets. Right, as he gets healthier and and as he feels better, right, because your your power starts from the legs. It starts from the ground. It's ground up, and with bad legs, it's hard to really like hit those deep line drives. So he was just slapping all of singles because he couldn't get the same drive on the ball. He gets healthier, he's able to do that. An elite batting average upside. I think it's easy to fall in love with David Fletcher for a lot of the same reasons. I think he'll be a little better in the counting stats. And if you're a big fan of the Angels, right, like either you're just an Angels fan or you think that offense is going to break out in a big way, like I do. Uh, he could be a real big time run producer as well as hitting 300. and you know he'll fall just sort of double digit home runs or steals, but there's a lot of value there. again, a great injury replacement. and like a 12 teamer, but you're not gonna be really be planning on him as a full- time player unless maybe you're in a points league because of how often he'll be on base. Right. Um, and then you know the last thing I'll say is the the two guys that are probably still intriguing in a 12 because I just don't think LaStella or Taylor are ever interesting in a 12. They're floor guys, not ceiling guys. Cronenworth and Kim, right? So, you know, you read it the way I wrote it, which is Kim Haseong. That's actually how you'd say it in Korea, right? So in Korea, it's actually like last name and then first name and then it's not really a middle name. It's like an extension of their personal names, right? Mm -hmm. So like, uh, you know, my grandfather was known as Myung-il Chu in the United States. In Korea, he was Chu Myung-il, right? So like Sin-Soo Chu just went over back to Korea. They know him as Chu Chu Shin-Soo, right? But perhaps he was Sin Su Chu, right? Because that's that's just the Korean way. So uh, most of you know him as Haseong Kim. Kim and Cronenworth, right? Like projecting playing time, totally different story. And we talked about Cronenworth a bit last week, but if one of these guys does win the job full time, they jump way up in the ranks. Sure. I cannot rank them higher right now, Hmm. but they're at least in the tier, you know, in tier five. If one of them wins the full time job, if not tier four, You know, that's the level of jump that they make if one of them wins a job. And that's something everyone should be watching in spring training.
1: Great analysis. And I'll just mention a couple other players that you have in your uh, later tiers. And if you want to mention any of the other uh, players, you can as well. But uh, Gene Segura with a 188 ADP 16th round and a 12-teamer veteran with a a solid floor. I think he's got uh, opportunity for 15-15 and a 275 batting average. Uh, Mauricio duban uh, he's been eating clean bro I mean uh, added twelve pounds of muscle, got some power and speed potential, eventually could be eligible uh outfield uh shortstop and second base and, and- your guy, Jonathan Scope, 25 homer, 260 potential. I say your guy because he's re-signed with the Tigers. So those guys are a little intriguing very late. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's worth noting that this is, you know, I mentioned that I'm the highest on Lux and I'm the lowest on Segura, but it's not because I don't like him. And if you read the article, you'll see why it's basically in a 10 or 12 teamer. The ceiling is too low. Right. You need a better second baseman than this to win your 12 team league. Uh, for TGFBI, to- my ranking on Segura is totally different. It's way up, right? Like, I I probably consider him at the same time as I'm considering Dylan Moore in one of those. It's very, very, very much higher in a 15-teamer where that volume really plays because the replacement level is so much lower. But he is replacement level in a 12-teamer. I'd say you you can, in a 12-teamer, you can stream a Gene Segura with, you know, with bits and pieces. So worth worth calling that out. Um, Just real quick, call out John Birdie as a guy who, uh, if you need steals, um, 116 major league games. Eight home runs, not that impressive. 27 steals, right? And, and granted, it feels like 25 of those are against the Mets, but he still gets to play them, right? And there's no evidence to suggest that. I mean, McCann will make them better at preventing stolen bases, but they're still going to give up steals. So John Birdie's a guy who could really explode if stolen bases matter to you. And uh, and yeah, again, love where Jonathan Scope went. Where VR went to the worst possible team, Scope really went to the best possible team because he's going to play every day.
1: Right. Uh, Great analysis. And and Scott, we got through the second base position. Amazing. <laughs> we are moving yeah. over to shortstop. Great analysis from you. Great article. Everyone should check out PitcherList.com and uh, read all of Scott's uh, player rankings. And uh, let's move over to shortstop. Uh, considered to be a very deep position. You start out with the elite uh, Fernando Tatis Jr., Trey Turner, and Trevor Story. Not much you could say about Tatis, one of the top three overall players selected in any formats of, of fantasy baseball drafts. Uh, Trey Turner, ADP of nine, was healthy for a full season. <laughs> Look at what he did. Uh, 335 batting average. Obviously, the, the power is increasing. Got to love his speed as well. But the one guy I would just want to focus on in this tier, and uh, some people are souring on him, uh, is Trevor Story. Now, Trevor Story... Uh, did, basically a 30 homer 20 uh, stolen base guy there are some uh, concerns place for the rockies and you have the home away splits uh he has a 305 batting average career wise when playing in colorado 250 when uh plays away and and some are worried that after they saw so what happened with nolan Arenado, that uh, story might get traded at the deadline what are your thoughts on trevor story and are you a little bit worried about him getting traded and then his production falling off a bit
2: So the first thing I'll say is Mike Petriello from MLB.com wrote an excellent article about the Nolan Arenado trade which talks about why the splits are so severe for the Rockies. Part of it is that Coors is just such a good place to hit. The other part is when you play in Coors, and I did talk about a little, uh, I've talked about this a little bit before, but when you play in Coors and then go to somewhere that's not Coors, you have to learn how pitches move again. They move very differently up in Colorado. It's one of the reasons it's so good to hit there. And then when when they go, so like they often have to go, Play at home, and then they have to go to like San Francisco or LA, right? And those are those have some of like the most dense air that we see, mm-hmm. and that's a huge difference in how the ball moves, right? Like they could literally watch the same pitcher throw a curveball and just have it move to. You know, it's going to feel like two very different pitches because of the the altitude and the way the air density is. So some of those splits aren't their fault, and we've seen players leave Colorado and have those splits fix themselves. Like Corey Dickerson's a good example. Yeah, uh, you know, several players have, have gone run. The splits don't stay, right? Like, they don't turn into the road guy. They turn into a still very good player, right? Like, the, the splits are a product of what Coors is, not who the player is. Mm-hmm. So, there's no matter where he is, Trevor Story stays in this tier. I just do not see myself moving him out of it. Uh, he's There was a time when there were things to worry about with Trevor Story, especially early, earlier in his career. He was striking out too much. The batting average was, was not good. It is good now, right? Like, just, just write it down. 35 home runs, 25 stolen bases, 290 batting average. Like, are the counting stats going to be as good? No, because Colorado's not going to be very good. But he's he's gonna get enough of them. Right? Like, it, it you know, he's not gonna jump Trey Turner, probably, because he can't he can't steal that many bases. But stories like Story's also safe, right? He plays the whole season. He was actually on pace to steal like 40 bases in 2020, right? The Rockies are gonna to have to try to score runs just to like Pretend like they're still a major league team. And one of the ways they're going to have to do that is by stealing bases. And Trevor Story can still do it. I think anyone that is afraid of Trevor Story, um, is all they're really doing is creating value for the rest of us. Because Trevor Story is still a heck of a ball player, a heck of a fantasy option at short, and absolutely deserves to be in this elite tier.
1: Well, then let him keep on dropping. Let his ADP keep on dropping, and you know we can grab him, grab him later, <laughs> next tier. And he's in a tier all by himself. Is Francisco Lindor? You call him near elite. So what keeps him out of the elite tier? I-, I know you weren't thrilled with his landing spot. You know, City Field being more of a pitcher-friendly park. Yeah.
2: So, and I mentioned this in the article. It's like I I don't have this like one thing where I call out like, oh, this is the problem with Lindor. There isn't a problem. Let's be abundantly clear. There's no problem with Francisco Lindor, right? The reason he's in this tier is because of how strong the first three are, right? Like if I'm in a draft room, I can never see myself taking Francisco Lindor before I take Trevor Story, right? I, I just, I don't see how I can ever do that because as many bases as I think Lindor could steal, I think Trevor Story could steal more. As many home runs as Francisco, I think Francisco Lindor could hit, I think Trevor Story will hit more, right? Like, I think Story just does everything that Lindor does, but he just does it a little more, Right now, the county stats might be a little bit in Lindor's favor here because I, I can't believe I'm saying this. Like, the Mets lineup looks good, right? Like, <laughs> like previously I would have talked about, well, he's with the Mets. It's going to hurt his stats. I, like, it's going to help a little bit. Um, but, you know, he is going to a, a place that it's really hard for players to hit home runs, right? Like, City Field's also one of the fields that got a humidor. It, it's, a, it's an offense-suppressing environment. I don't expect that to change his stats much, right? He's still the fourth. He's number four shortstop. He's still, like, a second-round pick for just about everybody, like early second round, really. He's a really good player. I just don't see how I could ever take him over any of the top three guys. And so I just kind of gave him his own little tier.
1: Am I crazy? or you know? And I agree with what you say. But on the other hand, I, I take a look at some of his numbers and some of his trends, and they're moving in the wrong direction. Do we say that that's in part due to the weakening of Cleveland's overall offense and the lineup that he was in? Because you look at his... Barrel rates, they've declined for three straight seasons. His hard hit rate per fan graphs is his lowest since 2017. Been having trouble hitting breaking balls, so pitchers threw him fewer fastballs. 258 batting average, the lowest of his career. I know he's got a tremendous skill set. Can we attribute all this? And I know he's only 27 years old, too. But can we attribute all this to, in part, maybe a crazy COVID-19 season and in part because of a weak Cleveland lineup.
2: Yeah, you know, actually, I thought about. I'm glad you mentioned all those things. I thought about all those things as I was doing this ranking. And at the end of the day, I thought to myself, okay, what if all that stuff is true? Where do I move Lindor? And the answer was nowhere. He stayed right here. <laughs> like this I... is this is why I ranked the guy <laughs> right. Like as far as shortstop goes, he's the number four shortstop. Yeah, I, there's. I just don't see how you you cut it up any other way. Right. He's he is going to a better lineup, which should help offset some of like the the fact that he was probably in a better offensive environment over in Cleveland, especially getting to play against some of the teams with weaker pitching. But you know, the other day, he's number four shortstop. It might change like, if you believe any of those things, it can impact where you rank him overall by a couple of spots. But mm-hmm. just none of those things mattered to me when I came to like, so do I move it? Like, do I do I merge him into like tier three? What do I do? And the answer was like nothing. He stays right here.
1: Right. Uh, and and the next tier, uh, the, which you call solid. Look at these players, tremendous players. This shows you just how deep the shortstop position is. It starts off with Xander Bogarts, Beau Bo Bichette, Corey Seeger, Tim Anderson, Adoberto Mondesi. So Bogarts, really not much to say about him other than he's just A tremendous offensive force you look at his numbers uh, up until 2017 283 batting average slugged 409 made some changes to his approach became uh, consciously more aggressive in an effort to tap into his power and since 2018 his overall numbers batting 300 and a 535 slugging percentage so uh and he'll steal you some bases as well and i absolutely love uh beau bichette in my opinion he when all is said and done, he might even have better numbers than Vlad. But we'll see. Uh, you know, Maybe I'm a little too hard on Vlad. But uh, the, the one guy that uh, troubles me uh, from this tier is uh, Mondesi. Uh, what do you, do you think about Mondesi? Is it worth the potential 50 stolen bases you might get for him? Uh, and then he's getting this uh, low batting average. Any concerns with Mondesi, uh, where he's going, ADP 33, third round?
2: Of, of course there are. Of course, course there's of course there's concern, right? There's there's two types of players in this world. There's the ones that really want Mondesi, and the ones that really don't even rank him, right? Like he's that kind of player. The first thing I'll say is the top nine at shortstop is the best top nine at any position, including outfield, which is nuts, right? Like it is that this is the third tier. Like we just talked about the go go back and listen to who we talked about in the third tier for second base. Like when we say shortstop is deep, this is what we mean. At the top, it is a completely different class of player, right? When we start getting to Tier 5, Tier 6, Tier 7, it's like the same as the rest of the positions, but tiers like 1 through 3 are insane, right? And one of the reasons you need to take a shortstop early is because the gap between the number 9 shortstop at Alderberto Mondesi and like the number 18 shortstop, which is Chris Taylor, is insane. Like... A 100 picks at least right we're talking about a, a crazy drop in in what happens at shortstop so you know I, am i concerned about it uh, about modesty at shortstop in roto not really and the reason is because in roto it'll all balance out right he's gonna have a bunch of like terrible weeks like go look up how bad he was before september because he was atrocious mm. like not you couldn't you couldn't roster him in a like in a 15 team league you could not start him right He was so 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 bad. I can't like I can't tell you anything besides he was miserable, right? Like his slash line had like it's none of the numbers were higher than like two fifty, right? Like he was just miserable on a bad team. But we all know that for three weeks he can dominate the fantasy game. Mm -hmm. No one can move the needle in stolen bases like Mondesi, and he can do it in three weeks it just was on the pl shorts pod one of the things we talked about was stolen base leaders we've been talking about prop bets uh, our favorite prop bets and one of you know our last episode which dropped on you know which actually dropped today sunday for you guys all that's going to be a day before but go listen what i say about Mondesi is unfortunately he's the best bet to win most stolen bases and that's because he can do it in 100 games no one else can if you tell me Trey Turner only plays 100 games, I tell you there's no way he leads the league in steals. I just don't see it happening. Mondesi could do it. Honestly, I say 100. He could do it in 80, right? Like he, he could really steal that many bases in that short of a time. He's going to explode. I don't like him as much in a head-to-head league because you don't get to carry those stats over, right? Like He wins you these weeks, but then he loses you so many weeks, and he's going to lose more weeks than he wins because he's just that kind of player. But when he's hot, my God, he is just one of the he's one of the most fun guys to own when he's hot because he just never stops. It's a stolen base every day. It's mm-hmm. two hits every day. It's just nuts. So is there like I if you rank him as your ninth overall shortstop, you will never draft Alberto Mondesi because someone else has him sixth. Someone else has him fifth, right? Mm-hmm. Because they see the upside, especially in deeper leagues. His ADP in in TGFBI is gonna be nuts. Right? When when you're the last thing I'll say about Mondesi is don't don't even look at his ADP. Right? Don't look at Mondesi's ADP. Look at the min pick. If you want Mondesi, you need to be willing to take him around the min pick. Yeah. Because someone is gonna, mm-hmm. someone else in your league is going to. And if you want him, that's what you got to do.
1: Before we move on to the next tier, Tim Anderson, you think he's going to have any problems uh, with Tony Larusa? I mean, he does like to to flip the bat a little bit.
2: You know, <laughs> Tony Larusa should just be real glad he's got Tim Anderson. Right? He just one of the best leadoff guys in the game. I mean. Mm-hmm. Not even just from a staff perspective, because he can make so much contact, and you know, as much as he like will swing and miss, I, I don't really care because he really does make contact. I want him putting his bat on the ball. He can steal bases. He can hit home runs. I love Tim Anderson. I think he's going to score a hundred runs at least. But you know, with, in terms of like the personal side of baseball, if you're watching the White Sox, they really, it feels a lot of times like they go as Tim Anderson goes, and lucky for them, Tim Anderson goes all the time. But got he is. They they used to have you know you used to hear the word spark plug a lot. You don't hear it as much anymore. Tim Anderson is a spark plug, and what's fun is that the White Sox are now a team that can do something with that spark. So I'm I'm sure. really excited to see what Tim Anderson does.
1: Yeah, and you look at his career: uh, 258 batting average, uh, first three seasons of his career 2016 to 2018. Past two seasons, batting 331. Adjusted his approach slightly, standing more upright in the box. Again, uh, like we mentioned with Bogarts, becoming more aggressive at the plate and the 3.4% career walk rate just swings, but he makes contact, like you said. So, yeah, one of the top guys. Uh, But this next tier, uh, you call them back-end starters, and you have a couple of guys that if they just rebound, they could definitely jump into the upper tiers and and could be draft-day bargains. Uh, Glaber Torres and Javier Baez – uh carlos correa marcus Simeon, and uh dansby swanson and the two guys i'm talking about that really could make a big jump in my opinion is uh torres and bias
2: yeah and really the, the first three guys there i think torres Baez, or correa right like mm-hmm. how weird is it if we come into 2022 saying like yep this guy's my you know he's my number seven shortstop right like the, the talent is there it, undeniable right um i think The one guy I want to talk about the most is Baez, because I think a lot of people are still very out on Baez, and a lot of it is because for a very long time, uh, and, and nothing changed, he's got a really scary swing profile. I've written about this a few times. He does have a very scary swing profile. He's a very easy guy to write a baseball article about and call him a regression candidate because of the swing profile. He swings and he misses a lot. But the reason, one of the reasons that I have never cared that much about that, and yeah, it burned me a little bit in 2020, but I'm ready to get burned again. Javier Baez has elite hand-eye coordination. He has elite skill with the bat. I mean, he he swings so much because he know, like, he feels that like he can hit a lot of that stuff, and he really can. Like, I know 2020 was rough for him, but a big part of that, I really do think, is a player that's as aggressive as him really does want to watch his own at bats. Right? He wants to see what was happening because he wants to keep swinging and to do that he needs to know what's going on so that change not allowing players to watch their own and watch that video during the game really impacts a guy like bias he was very vocal about it and how difficult that was for him yes. it's getting that back the tablets are going to be there i think that he can be a very very good shortstop i think the steals aren't going to be there again and that's going to make it hard to jump that high in the ranks at this position but that's just because the position's so stacked mm-hmm. right like he could very well be a top fifty hitter, right? Even though that's like the number eight shortstop, right? Like he'd still be a top fifty hitter. And I, I do think there's a lot there's a lot of uh, potential profit to be had there if you know, especially if he tumbles down your leagues. I could see a lot of twelve team leagues where Baez tumbles because a lot of the league already has a shortstop. There's a good strategy to make about being the last person to draft a shortstop because it's still gonna be like Torres, Baez, Correa, Swanson, or Semian. That that's insane. That's insane. You can really do that. Like, there's also good reasons not to do that and to instead target like one of the first nine because like, like if you have a chance to draft Tatis, you should. I think he's amazing. I, I think that there's nothing fluky about what he's doing. But like, wow, this is the fourth tier. I'm, I'm calling these guys like back end starters. That's
1: <laughs> nuts. Yeah, I know. Uh, and Korea, just like we we spoke about, uh, Altuve had a big uh, playoff run. I mean, the problem with him has just been staying healthy, staying on the, on the field, right? I mean, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. And, you know, you hate to say it, but he's got to put up.
2: Yeah. You know what, though? I think the reason that I'm so interested in him in a 12-team league is because, think about it, you could take Correa as your starting shortstop, right? And then just draft another good shortstop in case he gets hurt, right? You could just, then you, know, then you could just wait a little bit and take Marcus Simeon, Dansby Swanson, Didi Gregorius, who we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Guys just, You can absolutely pair him. Or you could go even crazier, right? And, like, you took... Uh, you know Trey Turner, Trevor Story near the top of your draft, and Correa keeps slipping. Why not take him? Right, he could absolutely fill a util spot. He, he could absolutely explode. There's still value there, and if he doesn't pan out, he doesn't pan out. But you're you're not paying what you used to have to pay, right? So, so I'm just I'm pumped about it because he's finally at this value place where you can invest in Carlos Correa's rebound and not be totally burned by that.
1: Right. And when it comes to your draft strategy, would you recommend and not shying away from drafting, you know, more than one shortstop early? I mean, because look, if you play in a league that has a middle infield position, this, there's a lot of talent in, in this group.
2: There's insane talent. And I think, you know, on one hand, I don't care about doubling up on positions if they still have a place to start early yeah. in a draft, right? First, you know, for several rounds, I don't care if I have two of them, right? Like I'll draft, I'll draft Freeman and, Cody Bellinger, I just did that in a mock. Like mm-hmm. now, the one of the reasons I like doing that in a mock is because I see how it pans out. And you know, shortstop is—you know—I say this about a lot of positions, but shortstop is really one where you want to have some kind of strategy. It's actually not like it's. There's a lot of multi-position players here, but the top ranked one is at 16. It's Tommy Edmond. That's the first guy who's eligible at another position besides shortstop. Mm-hmm. Uh, the top 15 are all just shortstops. So. When you, I would definitely do some mocks and sort of intentionally put yourself in a position where you take a shortstop early and see how that goes, and then take a shortstop, like be, get one of the last shortstops, see how that goes, right? Uh, draft two of them, right? You know, if if you could take Trevor Story and Lindor at the turn, I, I, I'm not going to stop you, like right? Even in a Yahoo League where there's no middle infield, you got to have two guys in your utility. <laughs> I guarantee you, Francisco is going to be the best one by a mile. You know, so... Uh, Give those strategies a try. In fact, I actually did that once. I took Trevor Story and Francisco Lindor at the turn. And I, I loved it. I loved how it ended up. So it's something I'm willing to do in a draft because I've tried it now. Don't right. try that for the first time in the real draft. Right, right, <laughs> I right. strongly recommend against that.
1: Yeah. I can't emphasize how important it is to get involved in mock drafts, you know, because first of all, it gives you an opportunity to familiarize yourself even more with the player pool, knowing where they're gonna go and like you just mentioned before gives you an opportunity to try out different strategies and see what your team looks like whether or not big thing is should i go pitcher heavy early should i you know so you try different things see what your team looks like at the end of a draft and uh, see what works out best for you but uh, in deeper leagues uh, DD Gregorius Tommy Edman and Andres Jimenez is your next option so uh, you mentioned Tommy Edmond, played eight games at second base last season, but he's going to be uh, second base eligible this year. Second base shortstop, third base outfield eligible. Speed is real. I mean, who do you really uh, like? Is it Tommy Edmond from this group? Or uh, it's an interesting group with uh, Jimenez could steal 20 bases or so for the team from Cleveland. And, and DD's got 20 home run power. Interesting to right here.
2: It really is. And, you know, how bad would you feel if this was one of your starters, right? Like, I mean, again, are these guys anywhere near as good as Bobachet who's in the third tier? No. There's there's almost no reality where these guys finish ahead of Boba Chet unless Boba Chet like doesn't play. Right? Mm-hmm. That just that just doesn't happen. But man, it's deep. It's really and this is yet another tier where it's easy to like fall in love with these guys when you just look at value, right? Like, why would I take Carlos Correa where he's going or, you know, Corey Seager, where he's going when I can wait this long and get uh, you know, Didi Gregorius, why would right. I ever do that? Well, I mean, there's a good thought process there, right? Like Didi Gregorius going back to Philly is actually one of the best places for him to go, right? right. So New York is the best if he can play every day, right? But that was never going to happen. So the next, one of the next best is actually Citizens Bank Park in Philly, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, it's a really favorable environment to left-handed hitters. I- I'm making this point for two reasons. Number one I know you all know about park factors, and I think they're very helpful, but park factors as a whole are incomplete. I really recommend you find a place that will talk about park factors for the base on handedness, right? So it bases it on the split. A park can be overall neutral, but really favorable to a left-handed hitter, for example, right? Like, Yankee Stadium is a good place to hit, right? Mm-hmm. But man, is it really, really good for left-handed hitters, right? <laughs> like, and, and guys with good hit tools, I mean, we've seen DJ LeMahieu do this, right? Like When DJ LeMahieu went from Colorado to New York, it actually became easier for him to hit home runs, even though Colorado's a great place to hit, because there's a short porch in, in right that, that LeMahieu can push the ball to, right? Gregorius goes to Philly again. There's 25 to 27 home run upside here with a with a pretty decent batting average. And if he hits that upside, he looks like a solid back-end starter, right? Like, this is weird to have a guy that's this good be a back-end starter. But that speaks a lot to the depth of the position. I like him the most because I feel like he's the easiest for me to project. It's weird because Tommy Edmonds has been around for a while, but yeah. he's only got 147 major league games, right? right. Now they're good. they're good 88 runs 16 home runs 17 steals 283 batting average right um but it's not balanced production a lot of that is actually really front heavy right so i think you could talk yourself into edmund being like a 2020 guy um but he could also very well be like a 15 home run like eight stolen base guy and in a 12 team league one of those is a is sort of like above the line the other one's below the line Mm -hmm. so I don't want to land I, – I think Tommy Edmonds a fine player like in that util spot. The, the flexibility is cool and all that stuff. I don't want him as like a starting second baseman or shortstop. But I could talk myself into that with Gregorius. Uh, and then, you know, Jimenez, that's a stolen base guy. You, yeah. You're not really going after much else.
1: Right. I, I know that, that your rankings are geared more towards 12-teamers. Uh, but 12-teamers, 15-teamers, are you looking to stash anybody like a Wanda Franco, you know, uh, top – Prospect for the Rays, and you wonder, you know, if his debut is going to be delayed, you know, to get a, a better opportunity for them to manage his service time after what happened with the Mariners. I don't know. I guess teams need to be a little bit more careful with that. But uh, in terms of stashing, what's your strategy when it comes to that?
2: So I think Wander Franco is really hard to stash in like a Yahoo League because your bench spots in those leagues are generally reserved for pitchers that you're streaming, right? the deeper your benches the more i want to stash wander franco obviously you know insane upside number one prospect in baseball there's even if he's not your number one he's your number two right he's he's just there's very few players that you know at the end of the season is it that weird if like wander franco plays for two or three months and next season he's in tier 2 is it is that that weird to imagine like no cuz like no, that's what no. happened to Bichette, right like Bichette's in tier 3 but like that's what happened Wander Franco, absolutely. Wander Franco is ranked higher than Bachet ever was. Right? So th- there's definitely more potential here. I'm interested in stashing him in, in deeper leagues where I can hold him, but I need enough bench spots, right? And I need the right build, right? I can't draft him expecting him to start anytime soon. But, you know, a- as I look at this this tier as a whole, we're starting to get to the point where these are sort of stashes anyway. And again, a 12-team league, it's, it's harder, right? Because those bench spots, you often just like you need those guys. On the other hand, got the extra bench spot, you think you can make it. Go ahead, right? Like you you don't need to stream as many pitchers. I like that strategy at the end of a draft because there's going to be a lot of people in your league who can't make that choice. Who really can't take a Wander Franco without hamstringing their their team. So, if you if you want him, again, mock it. Get find out how you get yourself in a position to take Wander Franco and still have a team you end up liking. Mhm.
1: And as we finish up the shortstop position from these late couple of tiers, give me one or two guys that re- really interest you here. I mean, I, I look at Paul DeYoung uh, from the Cardinals. I'm intrigued by the 30 home runs, uh, not thrilled with the 240 batting average. But is-, is there one or two guys as we finish off the shortstop position that uh, from these couple of-, of tiers here that interest you?
2: Look, if Paul DeYoung is out there, his family, his friends, his loved ones are out there. I don't hate him. I wish <laughs> him. I really do. I, I think that he's a a fine athlete, uh, an upstanding citizen. I think he is totally unviable in a twelve team fantasy league, mm-hmm. and that's because, uh, yeah. So you look at those home run numbers, and they look good. Like he has been really not good since <laughs> uh, since really April of twenty nineteen it's been really really rough since like may first 2019 in fact in his last 162 games he has 26 home runs but a 2.14 batting average a 2.92 obp and a 3.87 slug like think about that 26 home runs and a 3.87 slug Have you ever heard of that like can you even fathom how that works right like that that almost breaks the calculator like how do you do that apart from hitting home runs and not doing anything else right making a lot of weak contact that's how that happens so Really not that interested in in a lot of formats personally, although I understand the power upside. uh, I'd probably rather reach for a guy like Willie Castro, who uh, he's got a weird profile, but if you sort of look into it, he's kind of like Luis Arias if Luis Arias was selling out for power more often, right? Because he has an extreme – like he makes a lot of contact, right? He he doesn't – you know, he does whiff a little more, right? But he – He's got this weird thing where he's got this really high expected batting average, really high expected slugging, and really low exit velocity. It's a weird thing. I write it up in the article. Check it out if you want to see why I make this comparison between him and Arias. Um It's out there, but you know, interesting. I, I like it. Um, in a deeper league, a guy I am kind of interested in is uh, you know is actually, is actually JP Crawford. Right? So mm-hmm. yeah, I, actually, well, I don't paint a very rosy picture of him in the honorable mentions. In fact, I wrote one sentence. I said there will probably be a three-week period or so where he looks like the top option on your waiver wire. But the former first-rounder just can't hit enough to be viable in all but the deepest of formats. Now, if you're in the deepest of formats, J.P. Crawford could very well lead off for these Mariners at some point. Right, he, He's got that kind of skill set. They'd be willing to put him there. And if he does, he's interesting. Right, Maybe not so much in like a Yahoo 12-teamer, but... There could be something there. I'd be keeping my eye on him. And then I should also mention Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, where as a shortstop, he is not rosterable. In fact, he's not rosterable at any position. But any league that carried over eligibility from 2020, that includes Yahoo, uh, and I think even ESPN, Isaiah Kinderfalefa is a catcher, right? And he will actually probably be drafted before a lot, you know, before quite a few of these like guys in the last two tiers, right? Because because that's, I mean, he's probably going to be drafted before anyone takes like a Willy Castro or an Ahmed Rosario at catcher, right? Mm-hmm. I'm only mentioning him so that everyone realizes that while he has this other positional eligibility, it's a mirage. It doesn't matter. You're never using him at those positions. He is a catcher. and yeah. He's a very fine one because I think he's going to play every day. We'll talk about him more when we talk about catchers. But like, don't fool yourself into thinking that this uh, positional eligibility is useful. It's not. He's a catcher.
1: And if you think that the second base position is shallow, wait till we talk about catchers like you mentioned. So, uh, Scott, you did a great job with your analysis today. I mean, we've covered a lot of ground. You know, we think about the players that we've talked about, covered the second base position, the shortstop position. want to thank everyone for listening. want to just invite you to follow us on uh, Twitter at Hacks and Jacks PL. You could follow me at Joe Galina. Follow Scott. At if the chew fits, and uh, please go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe to our podcast, and give us a, a top rating, please. <laughs> uh, it's been a, a lot of fun, Scott. I, I hope uh, for all of our listeners that uh, all of your fantasies become realities. Until next week, I'm Joe Galina, yeah,
2: and I'm, I'm Scott Chu. Again, thanks y'all. Thanks y'all for listening. And hey, if you want to check out these rankings, go for it. As much as we talked about these players, there's even more. There's even more juice to squeeze out of this orange. So check out those rankings. Check, you know, keep following along on this podcast. You can also check out my other podcast on our network. That's PL Shorts, where we talk a little bit about DFS and betting. And you know, it's a nice 10-15 minutes of your day. That's as long as those pods are. So if you got to go to the grocery store, it's something to listen to. And you know, we hope we'll check you all next week. <spreading>